This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at uctv.tv slash careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and those in career transition bridge to better employment. I'm really excited for you guys to get to know our panelists here, and so why don't we jump right into getting to know them. Uh, we have both Janet Koenig here, who's Director of Enterprise Software at Cubic Transportation, been there over 10 years. And we have Sylvia Dadia, uh, Principal Engineer Architect at ASML. So I want to get to know them a little bit. Why don't you both give us a little bit of background on uh, your career to date. Okay, yeah. So very nice uh, to meet all of you and it's, uh, it's an honor to be here and share uh, some of the experiences uh, on my career and, uh, and, uh, and answer any questions you might have. Uh, so I... Uh, my background is in chemistry and chemical engineering. I got my uh, uh, master's degree in industrial chemistry from Italy. I'm from Italy originally. And during that time, I got the opportunity of uh, spending a, a year at UCSD as a, an exchange student. And while doing that, uh, I really discovered my passion for science uh, and research. And so then I made sure that I would come back here to get my PhD in chemical engineering. And for me, making the decision of doing the PhD was a very important career decision because if you're passionate about science and research and you want to do science and research at a very high level, and it's very important to have a PhD to, to grow your career. And um, then I graduated in 2008 and uh, at that point, I, um, I interviewed for many different companies. I was trying to figure out uh, what do I want to do, what do I want to stay in academia, go to industry. And then a great opportunity came up with uh, Simer. Uh, I don't know who is familiar with Simer. Have you heard about Simer? Okay. So we make uh, light sources uh, for the semiconductor industry. So we make uh, the machines that are used to manufacture the microchips that go on all electronic equipment. So, um, Simer got bought by ASML in 2014, and so now we talk about ASML, but still a lot of people in the community are more familiar with, with Simer. Um, so I joined Simer in 2008 uh, as a senior scientist, and, uh, and then I worked my career in a technical track, so my passion still resides in, uh, in technology and science and engineering. And uh, as my career um, grew, I went from taking on from smaller projects uh, to bigger and bigger projects and uh, leading teams that went from like a few people to like 50 people. And uh, what, I, what my role is uh, as uh, what we call an engineering architect, uh, my role is uh, to bridge uh, uh, research and engineering. So I take ideas from uh, research and I take them through the development stages, uh, through design, productization, and such that they can be integrated into the product uh, uh, for customer release. So depending on which side of the cycle I'm involved with, uh, I get to talk to many different people. And uh, in that role, what is really important uh, is to have depth of knowledge and also breadth of knowledge. And that's something in general in the industry, what, uh, what, what, what we see and what we're looking for is when we hire people, we, we're looking for engineers that are very good in their discipline, 
but they also are able to bridge across different disciplines. And the reason why it's important, for example, in my job, I get to talk to many different functions. I get to talk to marketing, to customer support, to electrical engineering, to the, to the people who do the cables and the, um, the water supply. So you need to have kind of a breadth of knowledge, but also have a depth of knowledge in your own discipline. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, I would say SML is a, is a great company to work for, and now we are actively hiring. So if any of you is interested, please feel free to, to, um, to ask me any questions and talk to me after the reception. Hello, I'm Janet Koenig. Um, fortunately, I'm not competing in the same industry that you are because that was a pretty compelling story. Um, so I started out um, studying computer science, and after I finished my undergraduate, I decided for some reason I wanted to build bridges, and so I actually switched into a structural engineering uh, master's program. Um, but I actually started working in software at the same time, and I started doing um, simulation systems, and I actually really, I was one of those strange people that liked linear algebra, and so I worked on a lot of algorithms like for collision detection and some of the finite element analysis kinds of um, algorithms, and decided, you know what, building bridges is cool, but I think I actually want to stick with software. So I, I just started going full bore into, into my software career. Um, I worked at a couple of different companies when I first started. I worked for Computer Sciences Corporation, I worked for a Structural Dynamics Research Corporation here in San Diego. Um, and I was doing some, some consulting on the side and I, I met some people at Sun Microsystems up in the Bay Area. And, and I discovered that what I really wanted to be doing is working in language and technology development. Um, I was so inspired by these guys that I met at, at, at Sun. and so. Um, so I made a pretty big shift in my career, and I decided, okay, I'm getting out of the, the simulation world, and I'm getting into language development. So fortunately, I, I remembered a little bit about my compiler design class that I had years ago, and um, took a little bit of a step down to make this transition, because I didn't have a background in language design and compilers and virtual machines and things like that. Um, but it was a really exciting time. It was when the Java technology was first starting. And so I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and, and got started in a, just a fantastic job with a fantastic group of people and um, really was, was uh, a very inspirational time. The people that were there were very creative and, and, and inspired and we felt like we were on a mission. And so I ended up being at Sun for, um, for 12 years. I eventually became the, I started out as a software engineer and worked my way up. Um, eventually I was, voted into the role of manager because we needed a manager and, and we didn't like anyone that they were bringing in to, that we were interviewing. We kept rejecting all the candidates and so they said, okay, well one of you has to do it. And I got voted off the island so I ended up taking on the management role and, and it actually worked out pretty well. It was, it was an unintended shift in my career but it, it ended up being a lot more satisfying than I expected. And, um, and so I ended up as the, the director of engineering for the core Java group at Sun and uh, was really, actually really happy and enjoying what I was doing. I did that for about 12 years. I ended up being at Sun. And then um, I actually have an aging parent down here in San Diego. And so um, it took a couple of years to plan it, but uh, we relocated down here so I could be closer to, to my mom. 
And um, there are worse places to have to move to take care of elder parents. I have to tell you, it's been a pretty nice adjustment down here. Um, and I tried to keep my job. I tried to work remotely. A lot of people do really well working remotely. Um, I found myself getting up in the morning and starting to work while I was making my coffee. And then before I knew it, it was dinner time, and I was still in my pajamas. And I said, you know what? This isn't working for me. I need, I need an office. So I decided it was time for me to make a change. And so after 12 years of developing technology, I decided, well, maybe I'll try and solve some real problems with this technology that's so great that we've been building. Let's see if I could actually use it to solve some, some, some problems. And so here in San Diego, um, you know, the biotech and the medical industry is really big. And I care a lot about that. I feel like there's a lot more we can do with software to improve the, the medical industry. Um, but I also care about transportation. And so I thought, okay, I want to get a job in one of these areas, thinking for sure I was going to end up in the, the healthcare industry. And, and I ended up uh, responding to, or a recruiter called me from Cubic Transportation Systems. And I thought, well, gosh, how hard can fair collection be? That can't be very hard. But maybe that'll be a good starter job for me here in San Diego. And so I ended up taking the job. I really liked the guys that I talked with. It was a pretty, pretty interesting group. And I've been there for going on 10 years, not quite 10 years. Um, and every day I'm learning something new. It, it, it turns out that the transportation space is a really interesting place to be right now. There, there are a lot of things that are transforming the, the, the industry from business models, right, the Ubers and the Divi bike shares and the, all of the, the um, gig economy type businesses that are starting up um, to you know, our, our transit agency customers. They, they don't have as much money as they used to, so they really can't... Um, they can't afford to buy the massive systems that they used to buy. And so there's a business model that's changed where they have to do more public-private um, partnerships. And so the whole sort of business area is changing with the, the participants in the industry and the way the contracts work and the way we partner. And then there's, of course, the interesting part, the technology changes, right? So in this new connected world, Right now, you think about your journeys. You don't think about, oh, I'm going to buy a ticket for the train. I'm going to buy um, a, a uh, ride on Uber. I'm going to take bike share. You think about your journey. You think about, okay, I need to go from here to there, and how do I do that? And how do I do that with the least amount of friction? And so, a lot of the problems that we're solving are using big data for data analytics, um, wireless communications. So we use a lot of the chip technologies that you're building, um, and. Um, uh, it's really a, a, just a fascinating space to be in, um, in in terms of fair, the fair collection piece, right? Mobile payments now with NFC near field communication, right? Now you can make payments from your 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 mobile phone, and so the the technologies that are are evolving the space are really really interesting too. So it's proved to be a really fascinating career move for me that I, I didn't expect to be enjoying as much as I as I have. Um, and so here I am now. I was the director of engineering for our enterprise software. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to switch into the product group because we were beginning to productize the software products that we were building. A lot of the transit solutions are very similar. So instead of doing contract builds, um, design and build, we're doing products that are reusable. It helps keep the price down for our customers who, who have less investment than they used to have. Um, and uh, it's a good business model for, for Cubic. And so I, I decided to switch into the product team. So I'm currently the director of product for the enterprise software products. And um, I'm also helping out with the, the VP of engineering role opened up. And so they asked me to be acting VP. So 
Um, my, actually, my, my current boss gave me two hats that I have to wear whichever one I'm working on currently, whether it's product or engineering. But um, yeah, so Cubic is a fantastic company to work for. It's, um, there's a lot of innovation happening in this, this industry. Um, we're doing a lot of research and development and product development, and um, we are hiring too. So I would love to talk with you if it sounds interesting to you. Well, thank you, and that's our panel. I'm just kidding. Thank you so much. Uh, really excited to kind of dive into your, your career transitions. I think tonight is about those times in your life when change is upon us, right? And sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about change and transition, and we plan for it, and it goes a totally different direction, right? Um, can, looking back in kind of your career, and I'll, I'll start a little bit too, um, is this where you'd planned that you would be? Uh, I know for me, when I was at UCSD as an undergrad, my plan was to go work for a big corporate uh, and you know, kind of work on big, big problems. And within four years, I found my inner entrepreneur and said, I only want to start my own companies at that point. Um, so kind of looking back, can you kind of look back at put yourself as, as, as a student and say, is this the plan that you'd, you'd uh, plan for yourself? Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I always wanted to, so my biggest decision was, uh, do I stay in research or go, was in academia or go to industry? So that was one of the big decision moments where you're like, okay, which road to take? And, uh, and at the time, um, it was important for me to also stay in San Diego. And this opportunity with uh, Simer SML came up. Uh, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to try it. I can always go back to academia if I, if I don't like being in industry. And then what I found out is that uh, so in industry or at SML, there are so many challenging problems to solve. We develop uh, like the cutting edge technology for chip manufacturing, and if I think that the impact it has on everybody's life is a very exciting place to be. As a scientist and engineer, is a place where you can make a lot of impact on everybody's life, and for me, it's very fulfilling. And so, and that's something that uh, this fulfillment in having a, a job in industry is something that, that I found out while working in industry. And so, so then I was uh, planning, like, in terms of my career, I, I kind of had some, like, uh, three years, five years plans. And uh, I was pretty much, uh, I'm pretty much on track with that. Uh, what I didn't plan was uh, the the area of, uh, of my field. So what I didn't plan and what I did not anticipate was working in semiconductor field because I am a chemist, chemical engineer by training. So for me, semiconductor was more uh, like electrical engineering, uh, design. So I thought it was not in my field. And, but in, in reality, by working in it, I understood the need for chemical engineers, for material scientists. So what I learned is that to keep my mind always open and, um, and also consider any opportunity you might find across, even if it seems like it's out of your field, still look into it because it might be your career. And um, so, so, that, um, so that's something that I didn't plan is exactly which field to work on. And I'm glad I didn't because then I was open to, to many opportunities and this one in particular that turned out to be very good. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> I have to say that um, there's no shortage of passion for wanting to do something exciting, but it seemed like every time I thought I figured out what I wanted to do, something else came along. So I would say for me, um, 
I've ended up where I am less through through planning and, and a desire to get where I am today, more of trying to move forward somewhere, and then an opportunity comes along, and I would jump on the opportunity. So I thought when I was in school, I thought I wanted to build bridges, and I ended up doing simulation software and liking that. And then I thought I wanted to stay in, in structural software, and I met people who were doing language design, and I was totally inspired by that. Made a change then. Um, I came down to San Diego and thought I'd be working in the healthcare industry, and I ended up in transportation systems and am loving it. So I think, I think for me, I've, I've, um, it's not for a shortage of passion, but um, I think... I think I've been fortunate in, in being open-minded and meeting people and taking advantage of opportunities when they, when they came my way. Um, and, uh, and a lot of hard work, too. I mean, it's, it's, not, um, it's not for the faint of heart. Sometimes things are really easy, and sometimes uh, they can be really challenging. Um, but it's a constant learning cycle. And so I think, for me, part of it is I get inspired by, by learning new things. And so, um, so I've been willing to make the changes. And, and I mentioned earlier how I had made a change from doing um, uh, simulation software to get into language development. And I took a step down in my career to do that because I really wanted to make this change. And so it was more important to me to change direction than it was um, to make sure I maintained my income. Of course, I didn't have many responsibilities at the time. I wasn't paying for college for anyone or any, anything like that. So I had, I had the luxury of being able to do that. Um, but, um, but I think that the, the important thing for me in looking back on, on the path that I followed to get here has been um, meeting people, making connections, and, and being willing to take a chance and, and, and try something new, make a, make a change, and, and uh, be ready to react when the opportunity presents itself. I think something that us engineers, um, when, we're, when we're training uh, in school and even early in our careers, we say, we, you know, we want to become good at building things domain experts, potentially, right? And uh, obviously paths happen, whether we move into management or um, move out of engineering specifically, you know, to kind of be on the business side. Um, I'm curious to know kind of when those opportunities have come. And it sounds like you didn't want it necessarily, but you were voted last straw uh, for a management role. But I'm curious, like those kinds of uh, decisions coming across you, uh, how do you, how do you take them? Maybe you can start. Well, you know, I have to admit, I wasn't too keen on the idea of moving into management. Um, the group that I was in at Sun at, at the time, um, if you looked at the pay scales, the, the engineers, the people who stayed in the technical track, were making a lot more money than management. So, so moving into management was kind of a, um, kind of a step down. Um, and so I wasn't that keen on doing it. Um, but like I said, we, we, for a year, our boss tried to bring in candidates for us to, to, to be our manager. And none of us, we, we, we'd interview them and then we'd say, yeah, no, we don't like them. No, we, and after a year of that, um, one of us had to do it. And so I, I was willing to give it a try temporarily. Um, and, but to my surprise, I actually really enjoyed the, um, I, I was afraid that I wouldn't feel useful anymore, that I wasn't actually making real contributions anymore. But the broadness of, 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 of what opens up to you when you're in a leadership position, you can now actually be touching on a lot more, uh, more activity than you could possibly do as an individual contributor. So it ended up being a lot more satisfying than I expected. 
Um, and so I, I ended up committing to, to doing it permanently. I started out saying, oh, only part-time. I'm, I'm only going to do this temporarily, and, and uh, was, was pretty pleasantly surprised. So um, it was a good move for me. And Sylvia, maybe you can touch on kind of the, the career path for an architect. Was that kind of always the goal from academia, or have there been decision points where you were swayed to go to management or even out of engineering but stayed, stayed the course? Yeah, so no, that, that was not um, my plan originally. Um, and um, it, it came, I came to a decision a few years ago where do I want to stay in research or take the architect path? And then if I look at the, at the impact that I can have in uh, both technical directions, then the impact I wanted to have was through the architect because that's where you can make an impact on the product and what you're selling. And also it really was really appealing to me to um, be a bridge between research and the product by taking ideas and working on prototyping, pilot systems and integration because then in this way you can interact with all the different organizations in the company and also this way I got to grow a lot in terms of the breadth of my knowledge just by the nature of the job while in research you're, you're, you're in, in basically an individual contributor and you, kind of, you stay in that role which can be also, is also very fulfilling because you get to focus on research and science all day long. However, for me, it was a great career move to get the architect role such that I could interface with different people and grow as in my career in the company and have a greater, greater impact for the product, for the product, for the end product. You both kind of touched on certain skill sets that um, one, today's engineer might have different traits than when we were in school. And so some aspects you mentioned, the gig economy, um, or even different ways of transportation, or even remote work has changed. Uh, what are, are you seeing engineers entering the workforce that are needing certain skill sets that we may have not have needed when we first kind of entered the workforce? Uh, just that kind of flexibility, is that what you look for? Or maybe at your guys' companies, uh, not something that you're kind of looking for, an engineer who's got the degree, uh, I don't know, maybe some more of the soft skills, I would say, that, that an engineer might need. That's, that's a really good question, and it's, it's a little bit difficult to answer. I would say that, um, that just the core technical skills are obviously really important. But it is a very distributed world now, right? We have global, we have global teams. Um, we have people working from home for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, so I think communication is really more important than ever, and understanding communication tools, technology that, that facilitates communication, whether it's Slack or, or you know, Instagram or, or whatever, whether it's social media or actual um, you know, virtual collaboration tools, I think um, you know, being comfortable building rapports and, and, and developing a team, a sense of team and collaboration through, through technology is important. Um, I think in transportation, uh, it's incredibly important for us to have um, different generations in, in the team um, because the perception of how you go about traveling and how you live your life and your sense of privacy and your sense of, of mobility, it seems to vary through, through different generations and as, as well as demographics. And so I think um, at Cubic, it's really important to have a, a wide variety of, of, of age groups and, and uh, 
um, a wide variety of, of perspectives too. So, um, so I, I have to say probably just communication, e- even if you're a little bit introverted, learning to, you know, finding, finding means of, of, of comfortable communication, I think is really, really important. Yeah, as, as, as Janet mentioned, communication is very important. I, I completely agree. And, and uh, the whole um, skills that are referred to as soft skills, as you mentioned, are very important and something that we don't, I didn't think about when I was uh, in, in engineering. I, I was really focused on technical. And, uh, and as an individual contributor, um, it's important, but it's not as important as when you start working with teams and as you go into management or when you have work as, a, as an architect. Because then once you start interacting with so many different people and then, and then you need to lead people toward, towards a certain direction for their technology or for their careers, that is very important you can communicate, listen, and find a common agreement. Uh, oftentimes... Uh, uh, it's, it's a negotiation, it's a give and take, and be able to communicate and also understand what the other person wants, what, what are their goals, what are their concerns, and address those ones such that you can uh, come to common agreement. It's, it's very important. And, and also as, uh, as, as a technical lead, it's very important to motivate people, to tell them why they're doing a certain job, why is it important, and, and take the time to do that, uh, really take the time and sit down and, uh, and make them know why they're each the contribution each of them is important and why it's important that everybody works in a team together. I think touching on the communication piece, I wonder if you can give us some specific insight on when you, you're both hiring. So when you are doing your own interview process, um, is there certain things out of the soft skills that kind of stand out that immediately show off that this person is a good communicator? Anything that kind of comes to mind during either interview process or brand new on the job, even after being hired? In an interview setting, I think that someone who's done some research and has some interesting questions to ask about the, the opportunity um, leaves me with the feeling that they actually are, are curious and, 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 and will engage and um, you know, really engage and participate. Um, and so I think, I think that type of communication, asking questions, um, depending on the type of job it is, you may even um, come armed with documentation, technical writing that you've done or, or something like that. Um, I think once, once someone's been hired, I think it's really, um, it's, it's up to them to establish themselves um, as an approachable person um, and, and, and someone who, uh, who will communicate and contribute. And, and like I said earlier, not a, a lot of a lot of engineers, a lot of the, the engineers that I've I've managed and led through through the years are are not not all of them are comfortable with interpersonal communication. A lot of them are are you know sort of inter, introverted and shy. And so um, you know so my advice to them is to find to find other means of communication to establish to your your contributions, whether it's in in you know writing on. Um, different types of, uh, uh, you know, collaboration technologies or, or publishing papers. There are different ways of communicating, um, even for people who don't have that gift of gab. I myself don't have that gift of gab. It's been uh, something that I had to, to learn throughout the years. Um, but it's really important. It's really important to, to being successful, I think, to, to connecting with other people and, and finding ways that you're comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and it's in half an hour, it's really hard to, 
to really understand uh, somebody and uh, it, it's, it's a guess at the end and communication is very important doing your job on the company and on the position is very important so if somebody I ask them what do we do SML and they don't have an answer then it's a, it's a no-go um, what is important is to me is like eye contact. If somebody talks to me and looks at me in the eye, it's very important. If the eye starts to go wander around the room, then uh, then and then I start to wonder a little bit about uh, how confident the person is and are they really telling me the truth? And also how how you're sitting, like uh, how comfortable you are, relaxed, and uh, and also for me it's important somebody that asks questions that is curious. That, that wants to learn um, about the company and the team. And yeah, that would say, and well, are the obvious questions that everybody asks, do you like working on a team? And, but it's kind of like given answers. I mean, I think very few people would say, no, I don't like to work on a team. But obviously somebody says no, then it's a, yeah, it's a, that's, that's, a, that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, I think we can relate, especially as engineers, that the communication part you know, may not be, or, or a gift of gab, maybe not be our strong suit. It may be our technical nature. Um, but I think you're both right in that you need to learn how to kind of, you're not saying it, but you're almost sell your brand, right? Like to talk about the uniqueness of you, all right? Um, what do you bring to this role as, an, as a, a candidate, right? Um, curiosity could be one, right? A curiosity for new challenges, but also even, you know, technical skill sets that, um, may not be shown because lack of work experience, but uh, just an aptitude for taking on specific challenges. So I think the communication piece goes both ways, right? It's being able to communicate with the team, but also communicate your own, um, your own brand uh, in a certain sense, too, that I think you both are touching on as well. Um, curious uniqueness to San Diego. Both of you kind of touched on that the industries you both work in and have worked in um, are kind of big challenges and especially the, the medical, the biotech, uh, you know, these are kind of life-changing technologies. Like, what do you see in terms of San Diego? You know, we're not building necessarily chat app, chat bots here. Um, we're working on big projects, and, and because of that, what do you see from the talent pool? Are they coming with a passion-driven uh, background uh, or a willingness to, um, you know, wear a lot of hats? I'm just curious, like, the uniqueness of San Diego, does that play into the kind of talent pool that that you look for? San Diego, gosh, it's such a great place to live. It's, um, it certainly uh, appeals to people who, who like a quali good quality of life. Um, so I do think a lot of, a lot of the, the people that, that you find here, um, that's important to them, flexibility in their job so that they can serve for whatever it is that they, they want, to, want to do. Um, and I think that's good. I think that people who have you know, a healthy balance in, in their life is important. Um, but it's very competitive, and and I think it's important to remember when you're when you're talking to to prospective employers, ask them questions. You're interviewing them as much as, as they're interviewing you, and so make sure that it's it sounds like something you would want as well. It's it's very competitive here, and um, um, I do think with all the strong universities that we have, there is a, a really rich pool of talent. Um, in, a, in the, the younger generation, which I think is essential to, to transportation, actually to all the industries here, the medical industry as well. Um, but I think it's uh, the, the, the difference between the, I guess, the Bay Area where I hired for a long time and down here is um, um, 
I think the, the personalities are more balanced here somehow. People seem to want more of a quality of life and not just live to work the way, the way they seem to in, in the Bay Area. Just a little bit more on the quality of life piece. Um, you mentioned you know, employees want a balanced life. Obviously, then that means employers have to kind of acquiesce that, right? It's not, it's not work hard, work hard. It's work hard and play hard. Uh, so I'm guessing a little bit more of the company, obviously the culture reflects that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, think, um, I think what's really key is, is being able to know when you need to really pull hard, right? You can't, you can't be expected to be working nights and weekends all the time. But if you want to be successful, there may be times where you have to really pull hard. Um, right now in Cubic, we've, we've got so much business right now. We're, we're asking people to pull pretty hard right now. Um, but at the same time, you have to really be cognizant of, of, of burnout and making sure people do have balance in their life. Um, people have families. People have hobbies. They have, they, they have a lot of things that um, you need to make sure they're making time for it. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, you have to be willing to pull hard when, when at, at, during those times, those critical times. Also on the, the, the San Diego aspect, I mean, it's a very desirable place to live. Are you finding that there is an overwhelming pe- uh, group of people that want to move here, that you're finding a lot of people applying to your jobs from, from out of the area, or is it overwhelming, overwhelmingly San Diegans that are applying to your companies? So... Um, I, right now we are, so the industry overall is hiring a lot, and uh, right now we actually have uh, a challenge in, uh, in finding talent. So, and uh, the talent that we find, the people that they interview, the, we do find people that are, are full of energy, they are technically well prepared, uh, but we need more of them. So, so that, that is our challenge to find enough, enough people to hire. And um, yeah. So there's a general shortage. For... I think it's a general shortage, yes. Okay. So it's a good time to be looking for a job overall. Yeah. I, I agree. The challenge that we have in San Diego really is the cost of living here. That when, when you're interviewing people who, if it's someone who's been living in San Diego, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're familiar with the cost of living and they've, they've learned how to somehow uh, adjust. Um, it's not as big of a deal. But if you're interviewing people who are living in like Atlanta or you know, a nice cosmopolitan area where they have a beautiful home and they need to sell their home and move here in San Diego, um, it, it can be pretty challenging. So I would say that's one of the biggest challenges um, in, in terms of recruiting people from out of state. There's no shortage of people who want to live in San Diego, um, but y- you, have to, y- you have to sell them on the quality of life for sure. I'm uh, curious if, if, let's turn over to the audience a little bit. Anyone have uh, some questions for our panelists? Janet, it seemed to be a big point of emphasis in your story about taking a step back when you transitioned to Sun Microsystems. How did you know that that step back was the right move, and how did you know or convince yourself that it was worth it for your long-term career path? That's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say I knew. I I was definitely taking a chance. Um, I I moved to the Bay Area, which was a big change. And so I I went through a lot of of changes in order to make that happen. Um, But for me, I was so inspired by the people that I had met with. And and they were on such a mission to do something really meaningful. And um, and so in my gut, I felt like it was the right thing to do. But I was taking a chance. I was definitely taking a chance. 
And I had my backup plan. I kept my contacts in San Diego. <laughs> I was going to move back if I needed to. Um, so I, I did have a backup plan, but um, but it was definitely I definitely took a risk. I definitely took a risk, and and I um, um, I went from being a fairly senior engineer to being someone in more of a support role, just to give myself a chance to to learn the technology before I could really con- contribute in a meaningful way. You don't always have to take a step down. Um, I, I did. That made me more comfortable to, to sort of start. These guys were just brilliant. They were so smart, and, and I just I felt like I needed time to warm up to the job. But, um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was taking a risk for me. It may not have felt like that much of a risk for someone else, but for me it felt like it. Uh, so both of you guys mentioned that uh, communication is a really important thing to express to uh, potential employers. I was wondering uh, what are some ways that you could show that you're a good communicator, um, either resume or cover letter or in an interview, um, before, uh, before you actually get the job? That's a good question. I, I think the best, the best thing you can do if you're not a natural communicator um, is to do some research, <clears throat> look in advance and, 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 and sort of think about some areas that you, you would want to inquire and come up with some questions. And, and, and often the conversation will, will flow just based on, on the conversations. Um, I also think that networking is really important. I mean, it's sort of a cliche term, but if... if if there's any way of, of reaching out, establishing a, a communication channel with someone, maybe you've seen them on LinkedIn and you know there's a, an, an opportunity, reaching out and just letting them know that you're interested and that you're, you're looking to pursue a, an opportunity there. If they see your name for the second time, it's, it, it, it helps. Um, but it's really, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's really hard, and I think that... Um, well, I think figuring out how to communicate effectively is an important skill for your success. Um, there's a lot of other things you have to look for when you're interviewing people. Um, just, you know, hardcore talent and, and, and knowledge in the field that you're, you're interviewing in. Um, and so I think um, uh, communication is part of it. But I, I would say the best technique, at least the technique that I've always relied on, was to just do my homework up front and come in armed with some, some questions. Um, and I do look for that in, in, in people when they, they interview, to, to Sylvia's point. It, it shows some curiosity, too, and, and uh, willingness to, to engage. I don't know if you have ideas. Yeah, no, no, but yeah it's, it's a very good question. And uh, yeah, you bring up some very good points. Uh, and uh, I think also what helps you to have clear in your mind what you want to talk about, what, what, is, what is like, uh, um, as you mentioned, what is your brand, uh, so what you have to offer why are you the perfect candidate for the job? And maybe have three bullet points, like writing them on a piece of paper, have them in your mind, and, uh, and make sure that those ones are expressed. And ask questions. I think ask questions to the interviewer. Because, uh, yeah, as Janet mentioned, we're interviewing, but we'll also be interviewed. Something, Janet, you mentioned kind of to speak to that, the networking piece. Um, you know, it's, step one is kind of showing up. Right? I mean, we're here. It's uh, a really good chance to meet you know, people who are, are prominent in their careers. But step two is the, the letting people know what you want. I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for this role. Um, it's not always guaranteed that people know that you, know, that you are looking. Right? Just because you applied 
on a black box online doesn't mean that you know the right person it, you might not fall in their lap right and so i think there's something really to be said for the networking piece uh, the purposeful networking not just to uh be seen but to be to, to let it known this is my intention hi um i'm finishing my phd currently i'm i think i'm gonna be finishing one year uh, I'm in the same position that maybe you were in the sense that I don't know if I should transition to academia or industry. I, uh, my first plan is to continue as a postdoc, but I want to ask you if there's such thing as overqualifications. I mean, if, do you hire a lot of postdocs? So if, if you do a postdocs, you're banned from uh, industry positions. Uh, how much do you hire compared, for example, masters, PhD versus uh, people with postdoc experience? I think there is, I wouldn't say there's nothing like overqualified, at least for a high-tech job. Um, is, it, is, it, is your decision, like, uh, I, I was in a similar position when I finished my PhD, and for me to have a, a career in academia, I would have had to do a postdoc. Um, if you do, do the postdoc, it's definitely that it doesn't harm to then get a job in industry. It just delays your entry. Um, so it just depends. If you want to make the transition to industry, the sooner you make it, the better. But if you want to have the postdoc and publish more papers and build up on your academic curriculum, that's not harmful, not at all. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, particularly in high tech, you, you find a lot of people who have had really interesting career paths. They've sort of meandered. I've, I've come across um, people with PhDs in chemistry. One of my colleagues who works alongside me, she has her PhD in chemistry as well, and, and she's just made really significant career changes. She's, she's just adapted to her, what she's wanted to do in her life. Um, and so I, I, don't think, I don't think you have to worry too much about being overqualified. Um, but, but I do think that um, expressing the interest in what you, you, you want to do, if you, if you have a PhD in chemistry and you're coming in to interview for a software position, right? why, why are you wanting to make that change? That's the more important question, not, not that you're overqualified. Don't, don't, I, I wouldn't hesitate to follow your, your heart right now and go into academia for a while and you know, do, what, do what feels right to you, but I don't think you need to worry about being overqualified. Um, so, you know, in San Diego, there's a big medical device presence, and let's say that you're, um, you know, senior level in one industry, and then you want to transition to a different industry. If you look at some of these job listings, their requirements are, you know, five to ten years experience in that particular industry. Do you have advice on how do you transition to a completely different industry, given that you have experience? And you've maintained, you know, let's say you were at Sun for 12 years. Um, you know, it's a challenge to switch. It, it is. And I, I've done that a couple of times. And I think uh, the trick is trying to find the parallels, right? So, selling yourself based on the, the, the parallels that you have. Getting there, showing up, and, and, and getting in the door first is, is probably the hardest thing. Um, but once you, once you can make that connection, I, I think... You can always find a lot of parallels between different different career paths. I mean, um, you know, going from the high tech industry into transportation systems that was a 
that was a huge leap. But, but there was an intersection of, of where I did have sk- skills and strengths that I was bringing to the, to the table, and I, I had a lot that I had to learn. So I think um, the, the key is looking for where the intersections are and selling yourself on those, those points. Um, but you know, making the contacts before, trying to get in the door is, is usually the, the, the challenge when you're trying to make a big change. So networking. Yeah, for sure, and uh, and also it depends on um, on if you take the transition and you have a technical position or, you, or if you have a management position. If you have a, a technical position, you, you might need to take a step back and learn the skills that you need to get up to speed with a technical team. And so maybe you want to allow yourself a year or maybe two years, uh, such that you learn what you need to learn for the, in the different field. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of times, actually, most of the time, when we hire, we look for people that are good problem solvers, that can solve problems, that, that work well with teams, and have a, a good track record. And so, and so that is more important than your actual discipline or your field. And if you're flexible in the transition, then, then I think you're going to have no problems doing that. Yeah. You may have already touched on this, but if there's any advice that you want to give, looking back at your experience with uh, organizational career transitions, any lessons learned? Or is there any advice that you would give your prior self that maybe you didn't have in, in mind at the time? Thanks. Be open-minded. Be, be, be willing to, to be open to things that you didn't expect. Um, some of the most rewarding Experiences that I, I've had in my career have been things that, I to, that were totally unexpected and, and that I was willing to, to, to try. Um, but I, I think just being, being open-minded and, and, and willing to consider things that you might not otherwise consider, I think, has, has been a, an important part of the successes that I've had. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that is great. I agree. Being open-minded is, uh, is very important. And also uh, wait for the right opportunity. Be patient, uh, and also wait for the right opportunity. Um, so, for example, there was a project I really wanted to do for a couple of years, uh, and uh, I couldn't get the funding to really do it, and I knew it was important. And then an opportunity came up, uh, and I jumped on it immediately, and then I was able to just grow the project from uh, like one person to like 50 people in the team just by recognizing the opportunity and uh, basically taking advantage and kind of reselling it. So, so also that, like, be patient. And if, you, if your heart tells you this is the right thing to do, never lose that, but just wait for the right timing. So timing is, is very important for when you want to do certain things. Well, thank you, Janet. So they really appreciate your time. I'm sure you'll be around for a little bit. So in case you'd like to come ask them questions, please get a chance to meet them. And thank you, UCC Extension, for having us. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.